Yo, before we get into this podcast, I want to ask for a huge favor from you. And that is if you have or you are getting value from this podcast, if you were to leave us a review or subscribe, it would mean the world. And quite frankly, selfishly, it's because I want to, we want to continue sharing these conversations, this medicine with the world. And when you leave a review, when you subscribe, it's a vote. And we would love to have your vote. Nonetheless, thank you so much and enjoy. Whatever happened to you is not the reason that you might be feeling your quote unquote triggers, right? Your body remembers. Your body responds to the environment. Your body responds to the stimulus, right? Your mind and your body both act as antennas and engines. Your body keeps the score. Your body holds the experience. Your mind is just what makes meaning to the experience. And it's really important, right? And this is Mm. the philosophy of the new intention method is first start with the body, right? Through respiration, through sensation, through expression and how that's expressed, right? Because it's a bridge. Each one is a bridge to then bring things from the unconscious, subconscious to conscious awareness to then apply in a spiritual pathway into purpose, into meaning, into higher realms of intuition and knowingness. Nathan Kohlerman is a spiritual counselor, ordained minister, and masculine embodiment mentor who really specializes in helping people come back home to their bodies. And my first experience with Nathan was actually through a video he posted on Instagram where he was sitting in ceremony with Combo over a bowl screaming with rage and anger. But not a few moments later in that same video, he starts breaking down in tears and just deep grief. And there was something about that expression that within me resonated was like, yes, like this is important, please pay attention. That became the impetus for us connecting, me reaching out and having to me what was one of the most powerful conversations I've ever had not only in this podcast, but really in my life, talking about what is the essence of masculine and feminine energies? What is toxic masculinity? And he shares his potentially unpopular belief about that topic and really just how to have a relentless amount of compassion while we are on the journey of life and taking ownership, but being able to do it in a way that's a little bit more gentle. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, brother. It is such a pleasure to finally be able to, to meet, connect, and share the space. And where normally we like to go straight into a conversation before we got in here, I said, let's sprinkle in some of that magical breathwork that you do. So take me into this. What are we about to do and why are we about to do it? Yeah, brother. Appreciate the space for this. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is for us to drop in to connect through the breath. It's a primary mechanism that we are innately designed as humans right first thing that we do when we enter this world is we take a breath and with that breath we are able to then articulate or express who we are and how we are going to show up in the world and you know this is going to be a super short breath practice for those who are listening if you're driving i wouldn't recommend doing the holds (laughs) just continue normal breathing right safety first but the breath is significant. So if you are at home, if you are 
in a space that allows it, it would be an honor to have you drop in with us. Mm. So without further ado, just inviting you to close your eyes. If you're driving, remain open, remain present, remain aware. And just now bringing awareness to the bottoms of your feet, allowing them to push down into the ground, feel the mother holding you in this moment. If you're sitting, allow your spine to lengthen. If you're walking around, maybe bring some awareness to how your feet make contact to the earth with every step. And all together now, just bringing awareness to your breath without the forced thought of breathing. To initiate breathing, just observe for just a moment. And taking a deep breath in. Letting it go. Take a deep breath in. Hold at the top. Allow your shoulders to drop, your jaw to unclench, your brows to relax to the sides of your head. And softly sighing, let it go. And now taking the deepest and biggest breath of the day, inhale through the nose, all the way up, all the way up, all the way up. And hold. Pulling more air through a straw, sipping it in. Hold. Just now notice the sensations moving through your body, through your system, and recognizing how beautiful it is to feel in this moment to be human. Setting an intention for what you'd like to receive from this session, this podcast today, exhaling that out with a high sigh. Now, moving around, wiggling around, bringing sensation back to the body, awareness back to your space. And when you're ready, opening the eyes, taking a look around, bringing in the sights, the colors, the textures, the temperature as it touches your skin, the breath as it enters your lungs. we've arrived the microphone pointing at your face breathe it all in (laughs) (laughs) that was beautiful and by the way if you if you did this while you're driving undo that don't do that (laughs) no but seriously that was that was really nice and it's it's pretty wild what we can do with i think it was like three it's like three intentional breaths just like feeling into the body, I, I just felt myself ground in a little bit more. And we talked about that level head to heart space. I felt like I dropped into my heart a little bit more. Yeah, brother. That's what it's about, right? Especially as men, right? The longest journey for a man is from his head to his heart. And mm. not to exclude the women as you know, the world right now needs open hearts more than anything else, at least in my own opinion. I actually want to start by diving in exactly to what you just said about how for men, 
it's one of the longest distances that we will ever ever travel, which is from our head to our heart. And before I dive into that, I want to start by saying that I am somebody who for a long time has struggled with the anxiety, overwhelm, OCD brain, however we want to you know, classify it, if you will. I don't over identify with it, but that it can feel almost disassociated or inches away from the tangible experience when I'm not focusing on that embodiment. And it can feel like the longest journey of one's life to travel from here to here. And I'm wondering, why do you believe that that is? Yeah. So when it comes to, right, you said embodiment, right? One of my mentors, Adam, he says that embodiment is to make something unconscious, right? The way that we walk, the way that we show up, it's not something that is spoken or something that's heard. It's felt and it's sensed through our subtle body, our subtle energy system in which, you know, you just meet someone and you're like, yeah, they know without saying a word. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it is, right? Because I can sense it in my daily interactions with others, right? I'll see their eyes kind of looking up and around and kind of going into their mind through their body's language. And, you know, when, when we pray, what do we do, right? We bow our head, right? We bring our head, we bring our head towards our heart. And that's where we have these, these deeply connective experiences, right? We allow, we surrender, we lean into our feelings rather than our thoughts. And I mentioned men because the essence of the masculine is awareness, is thought. And with the feminine, the essence is sensitivity, sensation, which is feeling, right? Any feeling that we have is feminine. And then we try to substantiate or justify what that feeling is, or the meaning of what that sensation is, through what our mind has to offer. And although it is a very beautiful thing and a very powerful tool, it can also get in the way quite often. And when we tune into the truth, the truth, absolute truth, which I believe there really is only one, is that we are of the all and everything else is just an experience or a perspective based on one's experience, Mm. then what our heart truly believes gives us that full body fuck yes. That innate body intelligence. It's like when you know, you know, there's, there's a, from my experience, there's a, there's a drastic difference between when I think that I know it here versus when I, that have that embodied knowledge, that deep resonant knowing that is, it's unquestionable. I'm not having to analyze it, although I could, and I'm certain that I have, but that it happens without force and highlighting what you were pointing at with the, the masculine essence being thought and the feminine essence being feeling is that these aren't mutually exclusive, meaning males are masculine and feel females are feminine, but that we each have both inside of us to varying degrees. And I, it's my assumption here. I'd actually you know, love to get your thoughts on this is that learning how to harmonize these energies and knowing when is appropriate to use one versus the other gives us the full spectrum capacity 
to maneuver life more skillfully. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And in these maneuvers that you speak of, right, it comes down to me, at least in the aspects of assertiveness versus gentleness, right, with each and every action or maneuver that you make, it's inquiring after the action is made, how assertive was I, how gentle was I, and was that an appropriate energy, or was that an effective energy towards what it is I desire? Mm-hmm. It's not, is that, is that, would you say that's like discernment? Is it, there maybe discernment is cultivated as we inquire and in reflection, okay, I did this. That was, that was more in the masculine or that was more in the feminine. Was that an appropriate response to what was in front of me? Like, would you say that, like that's a discernment that we develop? Yeah, I think it is learned through experience. And discernment is a really kind of loosely thrown term, right? I mean, it's inherently rooted in judgment and it's judgment without attachment in my opinion judgment without attachment and being able to also tune in to again kind of circling back to the heart right is this what my heart desires right it's that discernment of ourselves what we desire what we require and it leads us to a greater understanding of who we are what we need and how we want to show up okay so now we're pointing a finger at heart intelligence and mm -hmm conceptually with you as a way of embodiment, because I imagine, you know, if there was an audience that this particular conversation might be more relevant to, it might be more relevant to a man who is more here. Mm -hmm. What does the, the physical in reality thing look like to either get to that space of heart knowing or, or what is the, the process through which one can drop into that? Yeah. And that heart intelligence is heart coherence, right? And that's uh, a lot of the work that I've done with heart math is tuning into heart coherence work. And one of the more simpler models that I've given to others and they found really great success with is after an event, right? Place your hand on your heart. If you observe, right, your heartbeat and what the natural rhythm is, the natural beating is, and that is your resting state. That's your harmonized, calibrated state. If you realize that it got softer, right? If the beat became softer underneath your hand, right? If it became more quiet in your chest, you had a gentle approach. Hmm. But if you have a more assertive approach, then your heart rate will increase. Your sense of danger might increase. Your hunter warrior energy will turn on and your heart might be beating harder, faster, right? You might notice in the way you respire. If you're breathing into the chest, into the chest, into the chest, chances are you are calling forward that assertive energy. If you were grounded, relaxed, breathing low and deeply in this state of relaxation, you have a gentle effect. So we can use both the heart and the body's rhythm of respiration to understand what the state of beingness is to then measure right in form in a form of objective nature, right? Because again, these are conceptual concepts. And mm -hmm. it's very easy to determine based on how our physiology responds to our environment. So being able to get a gauge on our state of being by connecting with like, it sounds like one where our breath is being focused, whether it's lower 
uh, maybe more towards like our root versus it's a little bit higher up in that chest cavity, then it is, I mean, it's having like this biological residue that's impacting our nervous system. And I'm sure that if there's even something you've spoken to this whole, like when you're saying like that, that like warrior energy, I'm thinking, yeah, like sympathetic activation of our nervous system, that fight, flight, freeze, or just getting ready to go do something versus the parasympathetic being more of that like restful calm. Like I'm preaching the choir here. Like I know that this is something that you, you speak, I imagine quite extensively on. I'm actually curious. I, I don't know if I've made this connection yet. Would you say that, that sympathetic is maybe even more like masculine and that parasympathetic is more of that like feminine? Interesting. I've actually never been asked this. And the first thing that comes to me is that those responses are again, dependent on environment. I wouldn't say that's an internal driving okay. force. I think that the ability for one to bring those responses back into harmony is dependent on the internal mastery of those energies. So when they start operating in that spectrum of assertiveness and gentleness throughout each experience of life, and they learn these lessons through experience, through feelings, and then applying meaning to them in thought form, which then creates the new narrative, which then instills as the program, which then goes into a embodiment where it becomes unconscious in nature, where it doesn't have to be thought of or even reasoned anymore. I believe it's dependent on that. Okay. I, I can't remember where I heard this, but it reminds me of something that was talking about the like four levels of knowing or competence. I think it was the four levels of knowing. And the first one is unconscious incompetence. You don't even know that you don't know. It's like, I don't know. I didn't even know that bicycling, uni, unicycling existed. And then all of a sudden I see unicycle. I'm like, holy crap, there's a unicycle. Like people ride that shit. Okay, cool. Now I move to step two, stage two, which would be conscious incompetence. I know that I don't know how to ride a unicycle. And then I decide, okay, I'm going to go down that journey. And I start to practice. I start to play. And that becomes a uh, through practice. And it sounds like what you're saying is like you, you go and you do and you reflect and then you, you kind of figure out what works and what doesn't work. You install the neurological hardware and you, you start to figure it out. Then you move towards a conscious competence. Like, okay, when I focus on this activity, I can do it. But if I didn't focus on it, I couldn't do it. And through enough reps, through enough reflection, eventually you would hit unconscious competence, which almost sounds like what you're saying with embodiment. There's just this habitual neurological knowing that I am, I am now this way. Not that it can't change. It's not malleable, but this is who I am now through those reps. Exactly. That's, this is good stuff. <laughs> I don't think I've, I've had these people connected this way before. So I'm curious, how does, is this the type of information or maybe there's even more extensive information that shows up for you when you're doing, say your men's work is you actually just recently, I believe we're in Austin and you were hosting uh, an experience. And no, you said it wasn't a retreat. I think I saw something on your storage. You're like, I don't retreat, <laughs> which I thought was funny. You're like, I don't got a retreat for my life. What do you mean? I'm in my life. Yeah, man. I mean, that's, that's really what it is, right? Because I have a saying, and this is something that you were referring back to before, right? I have a saying that, you can understand something but never fully know it, right? Mm. Because if you break down understand, right, you are standing, standing underneath an idea without the physical strength in your body to hold it up effectively. 
And once mm. you feel it and you can understand it and you develop that conscious competence, just like you go to the gym and you do reps every day, nobody starts knowing how to bench press, but you go to the gym for five years and you can probably bench press pretty well with a low risk of injury. Same thing. Mm-hmm. You start feeling into it more and more and more. And now these concepts are easier to understand because you're training your body to withstand the conflict of the thought. Hmm. Same thing. And a lot of this is derived based on, you know, what Shang Tzu talked about, right? Taoism, right? First can gain control of the body and a lot and all of its organs. Then you control the mind, attain the one pointedness, also known as unified consciousness. And then the harmony of heaven will come down and then dwell in you, right? In your body as Hmm. embodiment. And then you will be radiant in life. You will then be able to rest in the Tao, right? He specifically is more speaking to what's commonly known as the heroic journey, the shamanic initiation. Any of these things, they're all the same stories portrayed in different lenses. And this is just more of a modern way of looking at it by applying this gym analogy to it. Playing the the role of not knowing right now, define for me in your own words, the Tao. Mm, Yeah, Taoist. Right. So Tao, T-A-O. Right. And it's a philosophy, right? Ancient Asian philosophy in which, right, very similar to Buddhism, Taoism, right? These are all different philosophies to find peace and harmony in life. Right. There's a, there's a book, right? The um, Taoist Sexual Secrets by Montauk Chia, right? He talks about these these masculine and feminine dynamics to master sexual polarity, sexual energy, and then how to transmit the sexual energy in the form of embodiment. Okay. And this is, you said the, it wasn't the exact word, but you said that it's like, get your body right, get your head right. And then that, uh, that unified consciousness then allows you. So it's like your channel's open now. You can you can receive because you've you've you got it all nice and aligned. Everything moves into the place so that uh, the way I'm imagining is like energy. It, energy like water doesn't flow perhaps the way it was in its nature designed to be when you denature the pathway that it has to take. I was I was listening to. Uh, a video yesterday with Aubrey Marcus and uh, Dr. Zach Bush. And they were talking about how we, many ways in which we denature water through the way that we make the path of water go. And it's actually uh, pretty detrimental to our health without going down a big massive rabbit hole. But in a similar way, if our internal systems, mind, body, spirit, how we relate to it, is having to go through all of these loops and pathways that it doesn't do it, I imagine it creates imbalance in the system. Do you find that to be true in like your work? Absolutely. I mean, look at dis-ease, right? Dis-ease of the body is a misalignment of the system, right? Because we have our spiritual body, we have our physical body, we have our energy body, right? Our energy body serves as the immune system, right? When we talk about spiritual hygiene, energetic protection, right? We're actually defending our body's ability to defend itself. And outside of the physical body, energy body, we have the emotional body and then the thought body, right? The mental body, astral body. And our thoughts influence the way we perceive our feelings, 
the way we feel influences the way our body receives that information or sensation and starts to dysregulate our nervous system. And when we have a dysregulated nervous system, it leads to dis-ease of the physical body. Imagine that. It's Absolutely. All <laughs> you got a you got a fingernail doctor, a left eye doctor. We've all these different ways of of separating, but it's all inherently one thing mm-hmm. on in one body on one planet in one unicity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I even did alive yesterday with my brother Jaguar heart, right? And he said, and this is something I'm quoting from him, right? Is that the identity creates the individuality. The individuality creates separation and separation creates fear. Look at society right now. Separation. We see duality, right? Not to say duality is inherently bad. Duality is necessary before unity can occur. Black must know white to know that it's black. And then when there's fear, it actually creates defiance. Defiance creates anger. Anger creates aggression. Aggression forms attack. Attack says, stay away from me, which then perpetuates separation. So if we keep separating these things, acting as though that they don't all intercorrelate or integrate with one another. That's very parallel to also saying that matter exists without energy. That the images on our screens, right, don't have the binary code underneath it, which is not true. It's defying physics. It seems paradoxical because it almost sounds like what you're saying is we have to eliminate individuality, which if we go back to Taoist philosophy or Taoist, however you, I've heard both, which is why like, I'm like, man, I don't even know. I just hear both. But one of the first, um, what do we call it? Like lines, if you will, it's like the way that can be spoken is no longer the eternal way that the second that you think that you've got the thing or you try to pursue that thing, it's like, it's gone. It's almost like this, like quantum, uh, what do they call it? It's not quantum entanglement, but this like weird thing that as soon as you think you figured out, it's already gone and trying to be, uh, trying to not see individuality likely perpetuates more of that individuality. And if the individuality is trickle down to the fear and everything else, how does one not chase their own tail and realign themselves with that unicity without getting caught in that paradox? And what you're speaking to, what comes up for me is, you know, I'm a huge union, right? Carl Jung. And he talks about the process of individuation. It's a natural occurrence, right? And he even speaks of the tale, right? The tale of the dragon. It's the shadow that's always behind you. That's always with you. And the more you act like it's not there, or you pretend it's not there, the more destruction it will leave behind you as you walk on your path. Ooh. Right. And when we take that into consideration, Right. And even coming back to right, Shuang Tzu's point is control the body, all of its organs, then control the mind, right, which is on an individual level. And then you attain the one pointedness, the unified consciousness, right? Embodiment of positioning within the all, which does actually correlate to quantum entanglement. Right. I'm sure people can research that for themselves. But looking at it from an evolutionary lens, 
right? Going back to the earliest stage of human civilization, right? And development, right? Mm -hmm. From a very archaic point of view, we were at a very deep tribe level, right? We were at a deep tribe level. And then what happens? Rites of passage, separation from the tribe, initiates the individuation process, which then one separates from the mother, from the support, from the family, to understand the individual needs of oneself, to then go out into the world and learn the lessons, and then again, circle back and bring it back to the tribe to serve as a societal leader. And then the cycle continues. It's a constant evolution. We've been doing it for hundreds of thousands of years. It reminds exactly. me of the alchemist. It's alchemy. It's <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. The point that you made about the the dragon not giving any kind of like heedance or acknowledgement to its tail while it's just like just like godzilla godzilla ing it's not even a word it's way like through the city just crashing banging things around like ah, i'm not held responsible for my actions or my decisions but it's like no you're wreaking havoc not only on other people's life but in whether it's chosen or non-chosen ignorance it's perpetuating more of the same issue, whatever that is, whether it's a, an internal mental or emotional disturbance, or if it's something out in your physical world that is also having a disturbance, which we might even make the, at least I might make the claim that it's like, if there's something that's not particularly working out there, there's maybe something within ourselves that we could go to work on that if done thoroughly could have a massive impact on our external world. But you just, you know, you, you got to be willing to look at those things. You got to be willing to look at yourself very earnestly and call yourself the fuck out. I mean, recently, I sat for the first time in like ceremony mm -hmm. with DMT. I've been very curious, like a like a curious psychonaut is a term I found recently. It's like psychedelics as a way to explore consciousness, but with intention, right? Because there's plenty of recreational and unintentional use. Like let's get fucked up on Molly or even weed, like whatever the thing is, it can be done in a way, in my personal opinion, that's unintentional. But I had some very dear friends and brothers who introduced it in a different light, not the one that I was given, like, oh, DMT's blast off and blah, like that whole thing. And we had a whole ceremony around it. And I knew that one of the things one of my tail lashings breaking things up behind me was that I have consciously and unconsciously been anxiously looking to be inside of like a partnership, mm -hmm. a romantic partnership, because I like have this envision of, of having a family and everything else. And as I sat with that and that almost like anxious looking, when I went and, and we like cleared before we dropped in, I said that I'm, I'm clear that this is a, a pattern of mine and I want the spirit of DMT to reveal to me whatever it needs to, that whatever I'm looking outside of me is clearly something I have not first given to myself. Like I have not recognized within myself because if I had it within myself, I wouldn't need it. At least that's my belief. I wouldn't need it outside of me. And I went to ceremony and 
without going down a massive rabbit hole, the DMT was like, you got to embrace the totality of how fucking weird you are and love that and, and not be searching for someone else to validate you and give you the pat on the back and say, you're good enough now. It's like, no, like I had to give that to me. And that's like the work that I get to do now. But before it was just tail lashing bounce from relationship to relationship. Why is this going to turn out to work? Of course, there's another person that plays a part in it as well. But at least from where I stand now, I had to be really honest about that tail lashing. And it was, it was wreaking havoc on maybe any potentiality of having that divine sacred union that I know that I want to have. And I have to be you know, honest with myself about what I'm bringing to the mm -hmm. table. Thanks for bringing that through, man. I, I can relate very deeply with that. Who take me? <laughs> yeah. I mean, almost everything you said, right. It's very mirrored and it's interesting because I had a different DMT experience. I really wasn't even aware at all. I was like, oh, I don't even know what this is. Sure, I'll smoke it on a bowl of weed. It sounds like a great idea. Uh, <laughs> 20 minutes later, oh, Nathan's no. on the ground screaming out at the top of his lungs, having a full-blown exorcism standing in the middle of the universe and then watching the living room Tetris back together. Yeah. Oh, you went to the metaverse. He was in oh, Dr. It was an initiation for sure. Um, <laughs> and with that, right? I mean, cause you spoke to it. It's like all these things get removed, right? All these things that are happening outside of me, right. Mm. Were reflections of how misaligned I was and the ways that I was acting and the ways I was manipulating and deceiving. And I even still see it today, right? I'm not exempt from the human condition. I still see when, you know, I'm, I'm on my phone, right. And I'm sitting alone and I have a thought, I'm like, Hmm, whatever I should make this call because I have these, these deep mm -hmm. shadowy we'll call it urges and i'm like interesting now that this is in my awareness right and i have the awareness right let me tune into what i'm feeling because chances are i'm seeking something outside of me because i'm avoiding something within me and that's a really important point to make mm -hmm. because we're when we're in avoidance and we start seeking these external things whether it's you know, someone of the same and or opposite sex, right? Something that's we're seeking sexually, something that we're seeking physically, right? Could be touch, something that we are seeking of nourishment, right? So then we go and eat and consume different foods. We tend to, right, try to get an additional little hit of dopamine, right? So we grab the vape pen or we need some serotonin. So we uh, go into our, you know, meat locker or whatever the hell it is. And we get our mushrooms out of the freezer because that's the best place to store them. And we take a bite, right? Because we think that it's going to inherently make us feel better. And because we didn't tune into the truth of what it was, it was an act of avoidance to numb or suppress the uncomfortable sensations that we're experiencing. Because numbing is still an active process. You grabbing the vape pen, right? I'm not exempt from the human condition. <laughs> I just held up a vape, right? Me grabbing for certain things, right? Mm -hmm. It's an it's an indication that there's a misalignment. It's an indication there's a misalignment, mm -hmm. which, right, if used with intention, right, and I'm holding up a vape pen right now, right? If I look at it and I and I grab this thing aimlessly, it's a habit, right? I'm disembodied when it comes to tuning into the way I'm really feeling. But if I recognize and I have the awareness and the urge of why I want to grab it, there's something there. 
It was actually my sister who taught me that because I was smoking weed a lot after my very traumatic hand injury. And I started grabbing weed, 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 grabbing weed every time I was in pain. And she said, she's like, am I using this to elevate myself or am I using this to suppress myself? Hmm. And that's one of the most important questions we can ever ask. I believe it's, it's certainly done wonders for me. And that kind of goes hand in hand, runs a parallel line with how assertive was I and how gentle was I, except now we have before the action, which mm-hmm. is this elevating me is this suppressing me. And then we have after action, how assertive was I, how gentle was I now we have bookmarks and the experience in between. Highlight that shit right there, because now you've essentially outlined a process for how we can have a before, during and after, right? Before I go into it, am I, am I going up, elevate? Am I suppressing going down? It reminds me of something that came up uh, for me a little while back, and I've been thinking very heavily about it lately. And it sounds similar, which is the distinction between, in my opinion, a drug Mm. versus medicine and how I've come to define it personally at this moment is that a drug seeks to fill a hole, whereas medicine helps to remember your wholeness. And it's that, that distinction, right? Like F I H O L E versus W H O L E. Like what are you filling or you, are you elevating or are you suppressing? Are you embodying feeling into, or are you numbing and pushing away? Because if you can answer that, honestly, even if this, this might sound, you might, maybe you, you can correct this for me, but like, if you can acknowledge that before you go and you do that thing that would numb you could be considered a step in the right direction in the sense of you at least had the conscious forethought before you went and you, and you just like grab the vape and you hit it. You're like, this could be considered <laughs> numbing, but I'm going to do it. And then like, you know, you go and you hit it. So it's like, it, it, I mean, I don't know. Would you say that that's progress? Or would you say like, eh, you know, you're still doing the same thing. I have thing, a so really destructive opinion on this. Where we draw that? <laughs> Ooh, bring it on. You know what? That was one of your things. You said like, what was it? Um, defying defying the much. status quo. That's what it was. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, and I'm sure anyone listening to this, right? And you myself included. It's like we get on this quote unquote spiritual path, right? And now. Oh, shower me i know i like i feel what you're yeah, about to say you know it's through. like it there's me. so much pressure right there's so much pressure to transcend your fucking shadows and you know if you're not doing something in alignment like you're inherently either a narcissist you're a pacifist you're an asshole right whatever whatever people want to call you and i highly disagree that with that right like and i've recently been saying like my mission is to help others embody their humanity And I recently posted that the lack of self-acceptance is the root of all human suffering. So like, yeah, you can look at it and you can say, yeah, this is actually suppressing me. And based on the conditions that surround me in my life, maybe I'm going through a divorce. Maybe I'm going through a breakup. Maybe I had a really hard fucking day, right? If that helps take the edge off a little bit and creates a little bit of space So that way, the next time you say, oh, wow, I'm so glad that I didn't shame the shit out of myself for just like being human, right? Not to say I'm negating my responsibility, right? Picking it up again and again and again and not asking the questions is one thing. 
But again, if you're looking at it and saying, hey, mm-hmm. I really don't have the space or the capacity to look at this right now, right? I have like four calls, right? I can't just leave my day job in the middle of the day, but I will commit to looking at this later today. And if you don't look at it later today, then there's another misalignment. There's a different indication. Now you're not taking time for yourself. That's a completely different conversation to have with yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So I believe there's a, there's, there's a spectrum with this, right? 99% of my clients, right, suffer from a lack of self-acceptance, right? I'm pretty sure all 99% of humans probably, right, suffer with that to a certain degree, right? That 1%, right, we'll look at the Eckhart Tolle's and we'll look at, you know, some of the other, you know, quote unquote gurus out there, which, yeah, exactly. It's like you're nice floating on top of a rock, bro, right? And again, right, <laughs> embodying our humanity, like, if you have a craving, right, and you have a sweet tooth, right, if you haven't eaten ice cream in a month and you're like, you know what, I feel really good about this, right? If it brings you joy or if it brings you some level of peace, why not? Why not? Right? Look at it when you have the time. Look at it when you have the space, right? Be gentle with yourself. Stop putting so much pressure on yourself, right? Just because you've just recently been exposed to all your shit doesn't mean you have to scoop it all out in one shovel. Mm-hmm. I feel this so deeply, this, this whole self-acceptance and the word that we used, I think it was prior to getting on mm-hmm. was just like radical compassion. Just this like, it's almost like being your own divine mother and just like being able to gently nurture yourself through it because I have been one notoriously who's just been ridiculously hard on myself. And I would go so far as to say that was like the, the unhealed father within me punishing my child, like punishing myself in that moment. You're not doing good enough. You haven't hit those benchmarks or it's the the teacher in the classroom. Who's like, you, you failed the test. You fuck up. Like whatever that, that thing is, it doesn't, it doesn't bring us closer. It, it's that whole separation and it, it doesn't also inspire. And if anything, I would imagine it would, neurochemically addict you to feeling like shit. And if we were to look at it very objectively, like quite, you know, very binary, which, you know, that's a whole nother thing. It's like you either hit your vape or you didn't. If you did hit it after that conscious reflection, even still to add the layer of, well, I'm not good enough because I did it. Mm. Who is that serving? It sure as shit isn't serving us, the person who did it. And if anything, it's, it's harming our own relatedness with ourselves, And that over a period of time, I, I, I don't know about you, but I've never seen that amount to that peace and that reverence and that joy that is just in us and reverberates through every cell in our body. And you can, you can feel that you're like, Oh, that person's got good energy. And likely if, if you see someone, you're like, Oh, that person's got really good energy. It's very unlikely that they're spending an excessive amount of time, like, hating on themselves all the time because that is not coherent. Those are two totally different messages and the body can only express the truth that it absolutely. Holds and like, even as I'm, as I'm receiving everything you're saying right now, it's like not to say that we are dismissing our responsibility, our personal responsibility, right? Cause that's, that's something that is important to know. Right. Cause I'm sure a lot of people who are listening right now are like, Oh, this guy's fucking smoking vapes. And then he's talking, you know, five minutes ago, 10 minutes ago about mastering the body and all of its organs while he's damaging it. What a hypocrite, right? Hypocrisy, mm-hmm. right. Yep. Is it, 
is is knowingly right placing something on a on a on a pedestal while doing it when in hiding i believe right ownership and taking responsibility saying i've been smoking since i was 14 years old right this is a 16 year pattern right this is something that i'm exercising grace as i'm also acknowledging how far that i've come smoking two packs a day to now a couple hits mm-hmm. here and there and while also using tobacco mapacho right very intentionally right i would rather right mm-hmm. have this thing than rather than disrespect the wisdom of tobacco of mapacho so for me mm-hmm. it's a what i rather this or what i rather that now if i'm going to use this medicine i'm going to pay reverence to the medicine if i still struggle or if i'm challenged with this thing over here how do i exercise more grace take more responsibility and then leverage it in a way that allows me to lean deeper into myself this is still a tool but i'm not judging it as society has taught me to For, you said 14 years. Was that a real number? Yeah, it started when I was 14. To what I say next. Creeping up on 30 here. Doing it so damn good, brother. You're crushing it. (laughs) Oh, show. I can't tell you how few times I've had this conversation where there is the acknowledgement that it's a fucking journey. It's called the journey for a reason. And for somebody, which by the way, I, I was probably that person at some point, probably most of us were that person at some point and say, you're talking about being X, Y, and Z about embodiment and do this thing, but here you are hitting the vape and, and seeing it as this like binary thing. It's either on or you're off. You either have like hit that enlightened state or you have, and it's like, no, that's like saying step one is I am fully in the first part of my addiction or my, my, Let's actually choose a different word, which is like the habit, if you will, versus the pattern, right? The pattern, the habit, whatever, however we want to identify it, something a little less like jiggy. But if step 10 is, I don't, I don't need it anymore. How could you look at somebody who's at step one or two or three or four and judge them for not being at step 10 when we are that person step one, two, three, mm-hmm. or four out of 10 somewhere else? It's that, you know, like got to get to see it for yourself within yourself and how it shows up for me. I've done a lot of work around rewiring old habits and patterns from simple things from like biting my nails until like my nails had like really bad, like almost like caves in them to probably the one that I would say is my longest standing. And the one I've experienced the most long-term shame about has been like porn addiction. And that started for me when I was, I don't know if I ever have said on it, publicly, like when this, I've even talked about this, but I think I was at the, at the very young, at the very, like Mm. earliest I can remember was like maybe 11 or 12, maybe even earlier. And I, first when I was doing it was something that was like, you know, boy, you know, exploring his sexuality and found porn and everything, but 
as time passed on, it became a way to, mm-hmm. to feel better, right? Get that quick dopamine hit. And even to this day, it's still something that I actively work through, whether it's like someone who's a vape, whatever, like it has been porn. Now it's acknowledging the journey, which is, it used to be like fucking upwards of like four or five times a day when I was like in high school, like it's like I had nothing better to do than just what <laughs> he said, raise his hand. Just Hey man, I feel that shit. He said, Hey guy, yeah, go mm. mince. Let's, 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 what I was thinking the chicken. What's the saying? I can't remember. Oh shit. But like, you know, let's, let's crank a few out. I mean, just some really precarious like numbers and even like situations like where one does it. It's like, Oh wow. Mm. Really here right now. Okay. I mean, shit. <laughs> but like, to think back to now, it's like, it may happen, you know, every once in a while. And God, if I don't acknowledge the journey, then I just want to beat myself up for the one time that I did it or the couple of times that I did it versus what you said in that before stage, is this elevating me or is this suppressing me? If I'm going to choose to acknowledge the suppression I'm, I'm not going to say, I'm, I'm going to agree with you wholeheartedly. If this is defying status quo, fuck status quo, because I have not found, and with the clients that I've worked with, never have I ever found I had success with supporting them and transforming any behavior or anything by beating up on them mm-hmm. when they didn't follow through on their commitments. Why would I do something to myself yeah. I would never do to a client? Yeah. Let's take a breath into that. <sighs> yeah, you just shared something pretty big, man. Just want to acknowledge that first before we even continue on that. Thanks for bringing that through. And I can resonate that a lot, right? Even watching porn in my younger years, right? Even having really tumultuous and challenging moments like later last year, right? Early this year. And it's like, whoa, this thing is still there. Right. What, but what in me, right. Is seeking this, what, right. Coming back to that, right. How am I not tending to myself? What's really happening? What's really going on? Right. I'm not going to allow this to consume me. Right. I'm taking ownership that this is my thing. I'm not putting the blame on my partner saying that she's not showing up or that I'm not feeling loved enough. Right. Victimization or abuse. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not taking those two ladders. Right. But I'm taking full ownership in that. And one of my teachers, John Wyland, he says, right, when you make a commitment, failure is inevitable. The essence, the root of the masculine is to commit. And once you fail to then recommit. And it kind of comes back to this one percent better philosophy mm-hmm. that I walk with. Right. I look at this vape. Right. Or I look at these patterns. Right. Because I'm human. Right. And. About 90%, right? This is what Paul Check says. About 90% of our beingness is unconscious. So why do we think or why do we believe that we should be 100% conscious all the time? Ooh. Ooh. Somebody highlight that shit yeah, right there. We're 90% unconscious. The back. So what makes us think that we should be conscious about everything 100% of the time? When something that is unconscious comes forward as an experience, which creates a sensation, which serves as the messenger, the indication, now we can place some awareness into it. Now we are aware it's present. Now we are aware it's there. 
and the narrative we have around it will dictate how we take action upon it. For me personally, I look at this vape and I'm saying, hey, cool, this is still here. I'm working on it. I'm human. I'm doing 1% better every day in Mm. my opinion of my own experience, which is the only one I can speak to. And looking at the journey, I'm coming up on 12 years sober from heroin come January. So I'm looking at nicotine Mm. and I'm looking at heroin and I have a spectrum, right? That comes with some form of acknowledgement. And I refuse to shame myself for being human. I embody my humanity and I show up fully to the best of my capacity every day. And that's good enough. It's not about being perfect. It's just about being good. One of the main limiting core beliefs almost every human holds. I'm getting such like peace in having this conversation, which to me is a real indicator of like how important that it is because there are some conversations that you have and you leave drained, disempowered, anxious, whatever the thing is. It's like this, it's like biochemical somatic residue that is left over when you have those types of conversations, but conversations like this, where it feels like time is just like, it's like literally slowing down and there isn't a concern about the next word that's going to come out or the next topic that needs to be had or the next deep dive. Like this is, this is, this is the thing. This is the work. This is that speaking to the vape, masturbating, whatever the things it's that, it's that real shit that acknowledging my tail whacking, not going to, not going to turn a blind eye to it. But here we are wearing our, our, our sleeve on our shoulders. It reminds me, or hard on our shoulders, hard on our sleeves on our shoulders. Yeah. Uh, did you ever watch 8 Mile? That, that part of the movie where Shady just like, he just rips himself apart. He just like makes fun of himself through and through for everything. And then when they try to rag on him, it's like, you can't hurt me. I've already unearthed everything that you could possibly say to make fun of me. I, and I've already accepted Mm -hmm. that about myself. It just is. Yeah. Coming back to that root of all human suffering is lack of self-acceptance. Right. And what you're describing and what I hear you saying is that there's peace in the present. When that time slows down and you're just like fully present to everything, Mm -hmm. fully present to this moment, fully present to your body, like what we were speaking to earlier, right? That after effect, right? When you're checking in after something happens, after something said, after something is experienced, right? Do you notice that you become more drained or more like defensive or do you just become more still and more calm and gentle and do you get that full body fuck yes? 
where you just allow yourself to relax into the beingness. That's what it feels like. I want to segue this bit around how do you feel when you leave an experience and discuss what I would say is the reason why we're here, which is I watched that video of you in a combo ceremony where at least how my experience of it was is here's this, this like jacked dude tattoos on his arm. You can, you can like sense the masculinity in this essence has a bowl in front of him. He's in this almost like hut looking type thing in like some kind of forest, probably in the Amazon or some shit. Don't even know, but like it's the energy you get. You see people walking around and this man is gutturally, warriorly yelling and screaming of like this like rage, this like deep, deep rage. And then right at the end, you hear the weeps, you hear the crying. That was the video, the first video that like, that was the video that like stopped me. I was like, I don't, in the title of it was called Sacred Rage. Something that I hear not talked about. And painting that image first, like I painted that image. And if you feel like anyway, I did not paint that the way that it was intended or wrong, please correct me. But I want to dive into that conversation because one might say, well, like we, we take and we classify certain emotions and say, oh, well, like sadness, anger, et cetera. These are inferior emotions, rage in particular, which is like, this is a masculine thing. And like rage is bad, but is it? So first, you know, if I painted the picture wrong, correct me there, but two, I want to tie this whole like feeling after into how rage and maybe the feeling after that. Absolutely, man. And, and you said it really beautifully and I've seen it talked about. It's just not mainstream because societally and culturally it's been mm -hmm. conditioned into us, ingrained into us at this point, imprinted quite literally into our, into our bodies that when we feel this thing, right. Ever since our mother saw us angry, Oh, don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. Right. Don't be angry. Don't be angry. Don't make a scene. Don't make a scene. Ugh. Right. You see the, mm -hmm. the woman at target, right. Or even the man at target, right. A parent, right. And the child's throwing a fit. Right. And what does that bring up with the parent? <gasps> and then they get angry, right. It, 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 right. It's this mirror neuron effect. Right. Oh my God, this, immediately built into this isn't us, okay. Right. And when we see that, but we haven't experienced that, it's like, mm -hmm. Whoa, that's too much. Right. Because I have a firm belief that you can only meet someone as deeply as you've met yourself. Right. Ooh. And a lot of the work that I do is in a therapeutic setting. Yes. Right. And if they go to that point, me as a, as a, as a space holder, right. How can I hold space for that? If I don't know what that feels like or how that's experienced, yes, I can exercise compassion, but coming back to what I said earlier, if I haven't felt it, do I really know it? Or do I just have an idea of it conceptually based mm -hmm. off of what some anecdotal study or, you know, article on psychology today has mentioned. You see the same thing in the, in the, in the therapeutic field, right? You see people get their education, you see them get their degrees, you see them get their licenses, but they haven't really done the work. Right. And that wasn't Peru, 
right? And we were speaking to the Shipibos afterwards, and they said that the, these dark shamans, right, the ones who live in the lower realms, who serve for their own egoic need for validation or sense of security, right, they bring that into the space. So what you saw, right, that ceremony in, in the jungle, in Amazon, right, with the tribe, was after my first night with ayahuasca, which ayahuasca was so gentle for me, but I've also done years of work and worked with many medicines to even get to the point where I have the ability to communicate with the medicine and ask for what I want to receive. Most people don't realize that as well. But with Cambo, <laughs> that was a completely different experience. Right? To feel my heart beating out of my chest, feeling my entire body heat up, right? feel as though I, I couldn't breathe, but then feeling like how angry I was that I couldn't gain have control over my own body, that something was overpowering me, that something was dominating me, that I felt powerless and helpless, which is where all anger occurs, which is a feeling of injustice in which powerless or helplessness occurs, right? And then when expressed, right, or unexpressed, it unconsciously comes forward as violence, Right? We talked about masochism, right? spiritual masochism before. Right? We're either masochistic or sadistic in nature, if left unexpressed in the shadow form. But when brought to the light, when brought into our conscious awareness, and we have the space and we feel safe enough to express it, to be witnessed, to be held with deep reverence, it hits different. It hits different because there's always a life force underneath every emotion. There's always a life force underneath an emotion. And when there's anger, when there's rage, there's always something underneath it. For me, in my experience, it was grief. It was losing this relationship that I hadn't yet processed fully. I thought I did. I cognitively like told myself all the things I, I, made all the steps, right? I took all the steps. I, I checked off all the boxes of this is what is necessary to release a relationship or this like expectations that I've held of myself of the past, right? And I did all that stuff. But I didn't feel how angry I was mm -hmm. that I had lost it. And underneath it was the sadness, was the grief, was the true form, right? The true emotion, the life force of it. And afterwards, I felt the experience of that, the judgment of that, the shame of that dissipate in a moment's notice. And when I laid back after I was done purging, it was just bliss. And it wasn't bliss from the medicine. It was bliss that I was able to release something in a way that had no judgment, that I felt no shame of that I was like witnessed and held and supported by the brothers and sisters around me who had been on a four month journey at that point in my mastermind to have my mentors there, to have the, the tribe there, the family there who received me as family, which I didn't really have a healthy model of growing up. So I had pure joy that I was able to have that experience to know what it feels like to then ask, how do I bring this home? And then I hosted a sacred rage ceremony where men and women came into the space because it's not just men, women, I would say more than men 
are more deeply conditioned to suppress it because it's not the quote unquote ladylike thing to do. Mm. Or when they're angry, right? What do, what do the men do? We label them. We judge them. We insult them with names and titles. Not to say masculinity is inherently toxic. Masculinity. Right? But from a place that Mm -hmm. comes from pain. Right? I would say it's an immature form of the masculine. Right? To say something's toxic is, in my opinion, and not to check you here, this is just my experience, my opinion, and also coming from you know, a clinical standpoint, right? Pathological narcissism. To judge something as that, right? But masculinity is not toxic. Femininity is not toxic. It's all energy. It's just the way it's expressed. It's either mature or it's immature, Mm -hmm. right? And the mature masculine, right? When a woman is angry, right? Can alter, can stand there unwavering, present, witness her. And when that's done and she feels safe to express that, then what's really there comes out underneath it, right? That's that safety, right? I like the distinction that you make between the mature and immature. Cause when I was saying toxic masculinity, that was less me saying, I agree with it. That was more me saying that that's what people do. They label it and they say, this is it, it pretty, it's, it's more saying that this is something I don't really understand. So it's easier for me to mm. throw a label on it and say, this is bad. You're bad. This expression is bad, but a, a different perspective, right? Not toxic or non-toxic, but it's like mature or immature. That's, it's a far more objective and neutral way to look at something and say, <laughs> are you, are you in steps one, two, three, or four? Or are you like closer towards 10? And it's also, just like a, a gentler, it's like a less, you know, it is that, is that whole judgmental thing, right? We're either judging ourselves or we're judging others. And that you were able through combo, which I'm not super familiar. I just, my understanding is that it's a, it's a frog medicine. Yeah, burn you. Make some punctures in your skin. They burn you and they put the frog venom in. Releases. <laughs> okay. Okay. So it's a burn. I haven't done I haven't done that yet. It's it's on my list of things that I would like to try at some point, but I've I've heard it's very potent mm-hmm. and it's like Absolutely. purging, releasing, clearing capabilities. When you were describing your experience with and correct me if I'm wrong in this, but that the anger that you were experiencing, that like loss of I loved how you, how you described this, that the anger was the byproduct Mm -hmm. of feeling like there was a sense of loss of control and that what it was a cover for was actually this deep sense of grief around something you thought that you had fully processed or at least cognitively had processed but that your body wasn't done grieving or, or feeling into. And it reminds me of, uh, in a, in a recent cold therapy, uh, event that we did before the event, we always make a, a point to do it ourselves. So like, you know, walk the path that we're encouraging other people to walk. And 
this event, a former partner of mine who I was, uh, I cannot believe I'm discussing this publicly. If you're listening, you know who you are and I love you nonetheless. Seriously, I do love you. You're an incredible human being. Um, she was coming to the event and it was going to be the first time I was going to see her in person. And I believe it was over a year to a year and a half. And like, how much of this is like, can I technically share without like putting someone mm -hmm. on blast? But it just, it didn't end on the best terms. I had my heart broken mm -hmm. very, very, very viscerally. Both of us did. And I went through the process of what I thought was like really grieving that. And I did when it, when it initially happened, just uncontrollable grieving and crying and many, many, many months passed. And I thought I was good. And then she says that she wants to come to this ice bath event. And I'm like, mm. I haven't seen you since all of this has gone down. Okay. Yeah. Like it's not my intention to keep you out of my life for the rest of my life. And if you want to be here and be part of the community, absolutely. My heart, and I thought like I was good about all of it. My heart had this heaviness that was all too familiar. And when we were in our ceremony before the event, I could feel that there was something there. And I told one of my brothers, I said, I, I need to grieve something when I go into this and I just need you to hold space for me and just like be, just speak words to me while I'm in this. And I got in the ice and I went through that initial shock phase. And once I really melted into it, sob, 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 just so much mm. heart heaviness and grief and sadness. That thing that I thought that I had actually processed, the cold actually showed me because mm -hmm. I do believe the cold is a mirror can only show us what we truly hold within. Like I sat with that. I said, I'm, I'm here with whatever it needs to be witnessed. And it was that I thought I was good. I, I wasn't as good as I thought that I was. I mean, I could certainly continue to move forward my life as I have, but that my body mm. was not done moving through that. And that, the, that parallel that you've had, not that it's the exact same, but that there's the relationship playing into it and that the, it was bringing something forth. Oh, it just shows like that, that healing journey is it's not linear as much as we want it to be. And something you said earlier that you may not want to grieve it right now. You may not want to feel it right mm -hmm. now, but at some point you're going to have to. Yeah. If not now, then later, whether you want to or not, it's inevitable. Right. It's like, right. You want pain on the front end, pain on the back end. You want to, you want to accelerate the path or do you want to take the scenic route? If you want to take the scenic route, that's fine. You're human. That's your choice. That's your, that's your mm -hmm. ability to choose. It's freedom. Awesome. You're a sovereign, beautiful being. Do as you please. Love you either way. And there's an important piece in that because I think it's an also important to acknowledge because people who are listening, right, they'll hear about ayahuasca, they hear about cambo, they hear about ice baths, they hear about breath work, right? Those are some things that we've discussed. And they're all just tools with the underlying fundamental principle that the body keeps the score. Mm. Right? This is a lot of the work that I do in the somatic realm is that your body holds the experiences, Right whatever happened to you is not the reason 
that you might be feeling your quote unquote triggers, right? Your body remembers, your body responds to the environment, your body responds to the stimulus, right? Your mind and your body both act as antennas and engines, right? Your body keeps the score, your body holds the experience. Your mind is just what makes meaning to the experience. And it's really important, right? And this is hmm. the philosophy of the new intention method is first start with the body, right? Through respiration, through sensation, through expression and how that's expressed, right? Because it's a bridge. Each one is a bridge to then bring things from the unconscious, subconscious to conscious awareness to then apply in a spiritual pathway into purpose, into meaning, into higher realms of intuition and knowingness, unified consciousness, right? And there's a sequence, right? Mm -hmm. That's why most traditional Western therapy models don't really work. You can talk about things all you want and all that's going to happen is the story will become reinforced. But if you don't go to the root, to the instinct, mm -hmm. then it will drive all of our subconscious patterns our addictions, our behaviors, our habits, our things that we do when we are in active state of numbness and avoidance. And again, right, we can take the scenic route, which in my opinion, the scenic route is mind first and body. Hmm. Or we can accelerate the process and start with the body, right? Unlock that wisdom from within and then make meaning to that wisdom with the mind which in my experience has been far more effective. And that's why psychedelics are so effective mm. is because psychedelics are somatic experiences. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure if I, if I had connected specifically that psychedelics were a somatic experience, I always felt the embodiment of it, but I, I don't know if that bridge was made because you're right. For me, most of my psychedelic ex experiences, I mean, I started, you know, I, I, of course, technically, if it would be psychedelic or not, but like started with weed, experienced, you know, MDMA when I got into like festival energy and then um, shrooms a couple of times, but most of my experience was with LSD. And LSD for me, although it's not technically a plant medicine, was always a very embodied experience. I was oftentimes expressing physically through dance, through sound, through connection with other people, through connection with self. But yeah, it did come back to the body. And oddly enough, when I got really, really connected to the body, it was when I was <laughs> in that integration or after place where all of a sudden my brain was flooded with all of these ideas, maybe there's subconscious burps or there was just like the body finally was able to move and express that energy that was stagnantly sitting about stored somewhere, whether it's the fascia or if it's in the water and our 70% you know, makeup, whatever it is. Yeah, I can see that in, in your, your scenic route scenario or uh, analogy of scenic route head, not so scenic route body, feel that shit, get into it. That's, that's good. So I was saying it's not, it's not so linear, right? For some people, right? Again, thought might have to be presented, right? In the form of a belief to have somebody think about it and be like, hmm, what experience 
would maybe support this, right? So sometimes thought has to be introduced in order for the body to move towards that experience, towards that conceptualized belief. And once the body experiences it, now there can be a knowing. So it's not linear, right? Maybe somebody stumbled upon it themselves in which that was a more somatic experience. Maybe they're having a conversation or a dialogue and somebody says something and they're like, ooh, but then maybe that resistance, that tenseness that the body receives, right, is the ego saying, oh, don't look at that. Because if you do that, then, you know, ah, <laughs> you're not going to, you're not going to use the root, <laughs> right? <laughs> you're going to get to the root. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. Right. I need to keep you in fear. <laughs> I, I prefer you didn't figure this out right now. We yeah, have to exactly. like hide this behind the, exactly. the whole veil right. curtain. Come so on, you want to figure here, this out right, right? now. Maybe and later. Come again, on. Human condition. <laughs> part of the path. Not to say one's inherently right or wrong. I've just found in my own experience and in my own practice, right, that people have more mm -hmm. powerful breakthroughs. And again, people are moving at their own pace. Embodied humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people are living at their own pace and there's always an opportunity if you want to choose a different path, you know, maybe listening to this, at least for me, it's a, it's a re-remembrance and a reaffirming. Yeah. I need to, to invest more time in my body because so much of my day is like being at a computer, having calls, doing coaching, very, yeah. very, very cognitive. But even just yesterday, I went to a Flume concert. I don't know if you know who that is, but I, I went to a Flume concert and got so fucking weird, just danced and singed and allowed myself to be the light that my essence knows that I am, but so much of it can get, you know, put in, it's like, clothes that get put into a closet or put into a drawer like you know we'll wear those some other time later like that part got to got to get worn fully and it fit well and i had so much good deep insight come through and now that energy is pouring into our conversation right now i don't think i would have acknowledged that had we not had this conversation but it is a calling card to say okay if that is the case if i have been taking the scenic route of being up here and i would like mm -hmm. to go into my body more into the, you call it the Soma, go into the Soma. What is like, let's just say like, I'm listening right now and I actually want to go and put this into practice. Like what is something that someone could do? What could I do to start maybe building that practice or that habit? Yeah, or I mean, however you want to relate kind of to it, it where could someone start? Started. Bring attention to your breath. Right. Respiration. That's my first pillar. Mm -hmm. Right. Respiration introduces sensation sensation comes in the form of expression, right? Emotions come in the form of expressions, right? And it's only when we suppress those emotions or we stop breathing that we die. Right? It's, it's very simple. And if somebody's already done that, then there's always another layer. Right? There's always more layers. We are just giant walking meat sacks that are built like onions. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, twenty-five thousand breaths breath, a day, just like how your life started with a breath, on average. Right, ten thousand steps a day, right? 
if you if you're tuned into your breath, tune into your feet, turn into your steps, tune into how your body interacts with the earth. Tune into when you're sitting or when you're standing, where is your body shifting towards? Is your body shifting towards your experience moving forward? Or are you kind of leaning backwards and dumping your hips forward and kind of shying away from life, shying away from conversations when you're standing and talking to somebody, where are your feet facing? Are you fully engaged? Are your feet forward? Or are, is one leg kicked out ready to escape? And how else does that correlate? Patterns. Back to that point about being able to compassionately acknowledge our patterns, shed mm -hmm. light on them, and start to do the in incremental work. 1% better. 1% better day by day. You do that 365 days, holy shit, you're over 300%. Exactly. You're three times better than you were if you never started. Yeah, I know, right? If they would have told us this and we had back to the little thing, awakenings, then, oh, wow, this has been great. Where would we be right now? Like all like floating to the top mountains. Like, oh, I guess we're all. Yeah, we're, we're talking all about the parallel now. dimensions, yeah, right? Every other possibility is, like is existing in this moment in parallel dimensions anyway. <laughs> so we'll just uh, honor that and acknowledge that we're here and now, and that's all that really matters. Thanks, Eckhart. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. And after that, did you say everything everywhere all at once? <laughs> that shit was so good. It felt like it was making one big cosmic laugh and joke yeah. out of like yeah, everything, bro, but at the same time, it's a like a hey, long time multiverse, right? bro. <laughs> that it's so diabolical, right? This this whole thing, this whole fucking thing is so diabolical that it's comical. And I think <laughs> maybe a good place to to leave this at is that you know a good buddy of mine, James. Mm -hmm. Oh man, I love that dude. Um, if you're listening, James, I'm going to send you this podcast when it's out. He said to me one one night when we were out and I think we had eaten some mushrooms or you know, <laughs> smoking DMT pen while we were at a, at a, at a show. Right. Cause again, I love it. Um, he said to me, <laughs> I do, I do. I can't even, I can't pretend man. If I have a DMT cartoon <laughs> at a show, head banging, throwing my hands up, dancing my face off and ripping the D pen from time to time. That's just, yeah, there, there will be plenty of moments. Let's go and get weird sometime. I'll put that, that in your space. Life's all about having a good giggle. <laughs> and that <laughs> resonated with me. That was like, yeah, dude, it, <laughs> it really is. Right? Like another mentor of mine said to me that like, God didn't put us here to suffer. Right? God, universe, or spirit, whatever pronoun mm -hmm. you want to use for, him, for that. Right? We are not here to suffer. We're here to live. We're here to laugh. We're here to love. We are here to be human. Hmm. And part of being human is knowing that you will be loved in Sensible. all of your imperfections. Simple in philosophy, 
and sometimes arduous in practice as it can feel that way. Nathan, if people are wanting to learn more about what you're up to and get connected to the man behind all this incredible wisdom that we got to share today, the, the embodied masculine, the, the lighthearted conversations around psychedelics and breath work, that beautiful, delicious breath work that we did. And really this, this lightheartedness around being human, right? That, that little giggle, life's little giggle, like how can we bring more of that little giggle to every moment of life and just have that, that self-love, that self-acceptance, like you are, you are making that a possibility for people. And I see that and I'm so, so, so grateful that this yeah, happened. Man. And I know that there's such a beautiful conversation. You. Thank so you again. What is the best opportunity way to do that? You know, my only hope is that whoever needed to hear this did, you know, everything is divinely timed as everything else is. So yeah, you're pretty much on every social media at Nathan Coleman, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube. Haven't really started a couple of those channels. Not super active. Probably the best place for people to look is Instagram, TikTok for now. And rebuilding my website that mm -hmm. should be up early July at www.newintention.com. And I'll be launching the New Intention Method course shortly thereafter for people to embody their humanity, unlock the wisdom from within, and get very clear on their embodied offering to the world through the soma, through the psyche, and through the spirit. Mm. Beautiful. And if there's one thing out of everything that we've discussed, there's one thing that somebody can do today or as soon as they can to start this, this journey. Three. Right, like that that one percent better. What would be the one thing that someone can do? Yeah, I just bring back to the beginning, y'all. And we're right, back. Bring more awareness to your breath. Right? Bring more awareness to your feet. Bring more awareness to your body. Right. When you notice that you're stressed out, when you're tired, when you're getting irritable, when you're starting to snap on people and you don't really mean to. Right. Just come back to the breath and breathe in some humanity. Breathe in some some grace and acceptance, and then lean into radical fucking ownership and own your shit. Mm -hmm. ooh, ooh. Oh, that shit. Exactly. Compassion and ownership can coexist, y'all. Compassion and ownership can exist. That's good. I dig that. Nathan, fucking love you, brother. Yeah, I know we're bro. just connected Appreciate for the first you. time, but so much love and so much gratitude for you playing today. Yes, sir. And to those of you listening, love the fuck out of you too. Thank you so much for listening in and continuing to find, follow, and live your truth and follow the wolf within you. Peace. Thanks for tuning in. Please subscribe and share this with your people. Big love, fam.